episode 41 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on June 12th, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. This week, the summer of SWOTOR begins with game update 5.2.2. I'll review the official patch notes for you today. Server mergers are a big topic right now. I'll discuss the pros and cons on this hotly debated topic. The first rounds of class changes are in. Do you play a Hatred Assassin or a Serenity Shadow? If you do, it's buffs all the way down. Charles Boyd stopped by the forums this week to talk about returning versus new characters. I'll tell you which way they're leaning. Finally this week, do folks from Bioware even play this game? I'll have the answer for you in today's show. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Well, welcome to episode 41 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another terrific show lined up for you today. First, as always, let's review some announcements for the Old Republic. And I'd like to do a quick shout out to Swotorista, who recently discovered the podcast and had some nice things to say about it. Thank you for listening. Uh, I love the work that you do. In fact, the PvP videos you did on all the war zones were a big help to me when I got started in PvP. And of course, thanks to all of you who tune in and listen to this podcast each and every week. It's appreciated more than you know. Also, uh, just a reminder as well, that there is still time to enter Corelli Run Radio's writing contest. Uh, you have just about a week left. And again, it's a fan fiction writing contest, and here's how it works. All entries will need to use one or more of six images for inspiration, and you can check out their site for details on that. You can write a paragraph, two paragraphs, or maybe even a short story from beginning to end. They said this is about having fun and creativity, so let your imagination run wild. You may have as many entries as you like. However, each entrant can only win one prize, and here is what you are playing for. First prize is an Audible book download and a 60-day subscription code. Second prize is 1,050 cartel coins, and third prize is 450 cartel coins. And time is running out as the contest runs until June 20th, and winners will be announced at the end of June on a live show of Corellia Run Radio. Well, that's all the announcements that I have. Let's slice the holonet now and review the news this week. And the Summer of Swotor has officially started. Game Update 5.2.2 is here. The official patch notes are out, and I will cover some of the key features in a moment, but there are some things that are happening in the coming weeks that you should be aware of. Of course, the Narshada Nightlife event uh, starts June 13th and will run through August. Uh, the Rakgul Plague Outbreak on Alderaan uh, starts June 13th and will run through June 20th. Bounty Contract Week will return on June 27th and run through July 11th. And then there's going to be a double XP and double Valor event starting on July 1st and running through July 5th. Okay, so on to the patch notes, and I'm not going to read them all because I could burn through the whole show doing just that. So this is just a highlight reel, folks. Uh, the Narshada Nightlife event is back, 
uh, through August, which I just talked about. And of course, you can enjoy new rewards such as the Gamorian Guard Companion. There is also a new mount, the Vectron uh, BWL Wraith. And you can win previous year's rewards like the Kingpin Rancor and Vectron Opus Speeder. So if you missed out on the prior year rewards, then it's great that you can get them if you're like me and already have them. Then you probably just see this as an impediment to getting what you really want. I will have to say, if I actually lived in the Old Republic in a galaxy far, far away and we're doing some car shopping, if you were... I'm really a big fan of the Vectron mounts. I really like the way they look, they sound, and everything else. So I would definitely be a Vectron guy. So I can't wait to see what the new Vectron BWL Wraith looks like. I hope it has a, a flourish option because those are always fun. So the nightlife event begins June 13th. So just prepare to get your bank accounts bled dry. And you don't have to do it all in one night. runs through August. So other changes, they updated the mailbox user interface button layout. And apparently the get all attachments is now next to the select all uh, option. And additionally, there is now more space between the get all attachments and delete all buttons. So I'm guessing they must get a lot of tickets from players who accidentally deleted all of their messages. We'll see. Uh, players can now loot enemies while in other forms while on Iocath, such as the mouse droid. This is a very nice change. Nothing worse than being a monitor droid and seeing the blue, green, and purple beams of light emanating from your fallen foes, their corpses taunting you with their buried treasure. So this is a very nice quality of life change. New mount speed legacy perks are available for purchase. Speeder Piloting 4 and Speeder Piloting 5, they increase mounted speed by 120% and 130% respectively. And by the way, Keith Koenig confirmed that the new mount speed will not apply to the Rocket Boost perk. That will remain at 110% speed. And I'm guessing it will not apply to the Kurtob Alliance mount, which is getting fixed this patch as well, which is great if you have like a low-level character that does not have uh, Speeder Piloting Rank 3. Uh, a new Command XP Legacy perk, Commanding Legacy, is available for purchase. This perk can only be purchased once you have reached Command Rank 300 on a character, and it increases all Command XP gains within your Legacy by 25%. This perk stacks with all other bonuses and only affects Command Ranks 1 through 299. So an additional 25% doesn't seem like much, but you can combine it with the 10% perk, and the 100% boost, and every little bit helps. And when you consider that you can now purchase a full set of Tier 1 gear for command tokens, and that disintegrating gear from Tier 2, 3, and 4 command crates are now worth more CXP, and the higher the tier, the more CXP they are worth. And when you factor that disintegrating gear from the command stash is now worth more CXP based on the quality of the item. For example, artifact quality gear will disintegrate for more CXP then premium, then, then getting your alts through Galactic Command should be a bit better. And remember, like Keith Kanig, the game, Kanig, the game's producer, has four tunes at Galactic Command rank 300, so it can be done. Uh, companions will now earn influence from being sent on crew skill missions. The amount of influence earned is determined by the mission grade. This is perhaps the one thing I'm looking forward to most in this update. I just hope it's substantial. And it's just because it's one of those things that gets simultaneously better 
uh, and worse. So as the influence goes up, the missions are shorter. However, you need a lot more influence than you did previously. And, and anyway, I was planning to send my companions out on a lot of missions to gather materials since it's a pain to gather the grade 10 mats in the wild. But it turns out that you will be able to get grade 10 materials from the Java scrap vendors finally. They are more expensive than other materials. In fact, the prices are as follows. Premium will cost you 12 pieces of scrap per item, uh, prototype six pieces, and artifact three pieces per item. And sticking with crew skills, players can now craft tier four gear. These items are artifact quality at item rating 246 with no set bonus. Tier four crafting schematics can be found on crew skill trainers and looted from tier four command crates and PVP loot boxes. Many tier four crafting schematics require Iocathian samples, which can be found on the command token vendor. And I'm not sure how many tokens it will cost to buy those. But that's, that's nice, especially, you know, if you wanted to get, uh, implants, ears, and relics for, for those alts that you're still grinding through Galactic Command. This will be a nice way to help them out. So those are the major highlights. As I said, be sure to check out the official site for the full list, which, which also includes some Galactic Starfighter improvements. So there you have it. The summer of SWOTOR begins now. Good luck to everyone trying to win the jackpot at this year's nightlife event. One of the hot topics swirling around the community right now is server merges. And there was a thread on the forums about them that apparently devolved into a steaming pile of hate-spewing banthapoodoo. Shocking, I know. Well, it was closed and replaced with a brand new one, officially sanctioned by Bioware, and I'm sure that will keep the trolls at bay. If you haven't seen the thread, it's this running stream of consciousness of the pros and cons of server merges, and it's people shouting, we need server merges, and other people yelling, no, we don't. So when I started looking at it, it was around 30 pages of responses, and it's now well over 80 I've certainly not read it all, but I have read a bunch of it, and I did jump into the discussion. I tried to take it in a slightly different direction, although I didn't get much response to what I posted. So let me start by laying out the problems that many believe would be solved by some sort of server merge. And the issue is that the population on individual servers is too low, and thus it takes too long to find people to do stuff. You enter a group finder queue for a war zone or ranked war zone or story mode op, flashpoint, etc. And it takes too long for the queue to pop. And another problem is the quality of the groups themselves isn't always that great. For example, you run into the same people over and over again when you PvP or you get stuck going up against the same pre-made groups. At its core, I believe these are the issues and many believe that merging servers or creating a mega server or even a creating a cross group server will result in the end all be all solution to these problems. Unfortunately, it is not that simple. Even though this is an MMO, there are times where having large groups of people around isn't ideal. And also there are a number of technical hurdles that need to be overcome in order for all of this to work. So let's talk about some of the pros and remember that this is mostly theoretical at this point, right? This is what people believe or hope will be improved by merging servers. And one of them is that queues for war zones, ranked war zones, flashpoints, operations will all be faster. How much faster they'll actually be, no one knows. And I think the question that needs to be answered here is what is an acceptable queue time to declare merges a success? So I mean, I'll, I'll, and no one, I have yet to see anyone really put a number 
to what a good amount of time to wait in queue for the various things like Galactic Starfighter, ranked war zones. You know, in this post-merger world, what do those queue times look like? Other than people believe they'll be faster. Uh, there's also the belief that it'll be easier to find a guild that does the activities you're interested in, whether it's PvP or Nightmare Ops, I mean Master Mode Ops. Uh, if there's an activity you crave, you'll be able to find a group or guild to do it with without any problem, and there's probably some merit to that. It should be easier to put together pugs for hard modes, I mean Veteran Mode operations, or any other thing you want to put a group together for. And there might even be able to do better matchmaking for PvP. Matches might be more random, and they could even be more competitive. So those are just some of the reasons why this could be a great thing, less waiting around and more doing. And as I said at the top, even though this is an MMO, there are times where having a large group of people around is not advantageous. And so some of the cons to this are role players. And they are concerned that without their designated space, They'll be subject to griefing and trolling from others, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that they're wrong. Uh, if your guild decides to go and hunt down world bosses, you'd like to be the only group out there doing that, and there's a big risk that you might run into a bunch of other groups trying to do the same thing at the same time, which could make it really not a whole lot of fun. Likewise, if you're questing or doing planetary heroics, less crowded is better. I mean, just look at that one quest on Droman Koss uh, to kill Valen Korik. I mean, this is a known issue ever since 4.0 launched, and it's just miserable if everyone is out doing it at the same time. And then there are all these technical hurdles that many assume Bioware will magically overcome. While others are choosing to not sweat the details, I'm of the mind that the devil is in the details and that these are not small things. So here are just an example of a few of the technical issues that if they can't be solved, I believe them to be showstoppers. One, keeping your name. And I think they need to come up with a way to let players keep their names. And you don't just risk losing the name, your name to other players. It's possible that a merge could combine characters that you have on different servers and you could have characters with the same name on both those servers. And in fact, you could, that's better than someone else having it, but you know, still, you're still being forced to change the name of one of your other characters. Uh, if you do have characters from different servers, you might have fully decorated strongholds of the same type. Like, you know, you might have a fully decorated Yavin 4 stronghold on server A and server B. You might love them both and they could be decorated very differently. How do you reconcile that? I don't know that you can. Uh, you might have full legacy cargo holds across both your servers. And what happens if we aren't given more cargo space and then your characters are all merged together? Now you got to sit there and figure out what to do with all of this stuff that no longer fits in your car legacy cargo hold. What will performance be like on these giant servers? No one, no one knows. We just all assume and hope it'll be good, but I don't know. We've looked at what's going on with, with Harbinger. There was, a, there was an issue this weekend with some of the East Coast servers, I believe, having some login issues. And, you know, currently when you transfer servers, you don't get to keep your outfits. Uh, and if it's just one tune you're dealing with, that's one thing. But, you know, we're talk we could be talking about something that affects all of your characters. And that is a lot of time you will need to spend outfitting your characters and redecorating all of your strongholds. So these are not small issues at all. And I think we're at the point where I would love Bioware to chime in 
and tell us exactly what their current capabilities are. I'd love to hear what they consider to be showstoppers and if they're actively working to solve things like letting players keep their names and how to reconcile merging two legacies together. I'd love for them to tell us what they think a successful server merge looks like and where they draw the line in terms of where the pros outweigh the cons. So I'm not holding my breath that server merges will happen. I do think there are some benefits to them to be sure, but there's an awful lot of inconveniences that need to be eliminated before anything can happen. And, and one of the questions I did post, pose in, in that thread was this. I asked if there was a server out there where the population was sufficient enough that if you played exclusively on that server, you were in a sense living the server merger dream. And I didn't get an answer to that, but you know, Harbinger is one of the, uh, the high population servers. I mean, are they at a point, are they, uh, do they resemble what life in a post-server merge would, would look like? Or are they as equally affected by, you know, these issues as, as every other server out there? And I think that's an important question to kind of answer because, you know, you can just go to Harbinger, play on there and just get a sense of what life would be like, uh, in this post-server merge world. And you can kind of get a sense. Is it, is it all that it's cracked up to be? Or, you know, it might be better, but only slightly. So after 80 pages of replies, I think it's time for BioWare to engage all of us in a dialogue here and start talking about the problems and solutions. And I'd like to get their perspective on that. I don't know if it'll happen, but who knows? All right. Well, enough about server merges. Let's move on to class balance changes. So the first round of class balance changes were posted on the forums this week, and they chose to start with the Hatred Assassin Assassin and Serenity Shadow. And the nature of the post was twofold. First, they went into why they were making the changes, and then they went into details of the changes themselves, and this is what was posted. With the class changes in 5.3, we wanted to address several balance issues. One discipline that we found to be lagging behind its target DPS output was Hatred Assassin and slash Serenity Shadow. We changed several skills for this discipline to increase its DPS output. We wanted to help Hatred slash Serenity shine at what it is supposed to be known for high sustained melee damage. So we increased the damage bonuses granted by Deathmark slash Force Suppression and Fulguration slash Rebounding Force to boost the dot damage for the discipline, increasing the periodic damage it deals and its overall DPS output. We also wanted Hatred slash Serenity to be better at finishing off enemy targets, so we increased the effectiveness of Inevitable Demise slash Aching Mind, which helps to boost its overall DPS output as well. Finally, we wanted to make Force Regeneration for Hatred slash Serenity a bit more consistent and increase the Force Cost Efficiency of Leeching Strike slash Serenity Strike, so we made some adjustments to Leeching Hunger slash Serene Poise and the amount of Force restored by Fulguration slash Rebounding Force to achieve these goals. This should give players of Hatred slash Serenity a smoother and more reliable source of force regeneration. And they said in 5.3, players of Hatred slash Serenity should find that their DPS output potential has increased and that their force regeneration is a bit less random and more manageable. So here are the, the, the specific changes. Uh, they increased death marks, periodic damage boost from 10% to 15%. And if you're Serenity, that's for suppressions. Uh, they, they increased fulgurations slash rebounding forces damage bonus for creeping tremor slash sever force from 10% to 
fulguration slash rebounding force restores three force down from five when lightning charge slash force technique deals damage. They increased inevitable demises slash aching minds low health damage bonus from 15% to 30%. In addition to its previous effects, leeching hunger slash serene poise now restores four force for each of your damaging periodic effects on a target damaged by your um, leeching strike slash serenity strike. And then finally, they cleared the tool tips for crackling charge slash force focus. And then they said, please let us know what you think of these changes. Well, I just started leveling an assassin and I started off as the other discipline, which escapes my mind at the moment, but it wasn't hatred. So I can't speak at all to these changes. What I do know is that all of these are buffs and class balance is a touchy subject. And truth be told, players don't like it when developers screw with their classes. And for the most part, Bioware has been pretty good at limiting major changes to their expansions. I think what they did for 5.0 was probably a bit bigger than what they've done in the past. But overall, I think they kind of, I mean, I know my mercenary still feels like a mercenary. It doesn't feel that different rotation-wise from where it was in 4.0 and maybe even 3.0. I don't remember too much of it before that, but it, but it always, it feels more or less intact as the years have gone by. And I just sort of contrast this with, with World of Warcraft, where I, which I still play. And let's see what they released Legion in September and my hunter class went through a major overhaul. And I started out that expansion playing marksmanship spec. I'm now playing Beastmastery because they just made all sorts of changes to marksmanship that just made it somewhat unplayable for me and not nearly as much fun. That's how significant the changes were. And, you know, they've got a patch coming out this week as well. And Beast Mastery is going under some, again, some other major changes. So, I mean, the, the class just goes through one iteration after another, each expansion, during each expansion. And, and, and Bioware, for the most part, tends to leave these alone. That's not to say they get it right and don't have to go back and fix things like they're doing now. But they don't screw with these classes, at least the way I've seen some other MMOs do that. So I, th- I think that's probably a good thing. And I, you know, I like that they chose to ease us into this with a round of changes that people can get excited about, right? These are all buffs. This was a, a, a discipline that was underperforming and now they're boosting it so that it performs at a level that they feel it should be. But this is just the beginning and there are more changes on the way and they won't be all buffs, will they? We'll see if the tone changes when they get to mercenaries and commandos, which who knows, maybe that can happen as early as this week. So I wanted to change topics again and now talk about returning companions or lack thereof. Lack thereof. Um, this has been another hot topic for Knights of the Eternal Throne. And it came up again in a thread where a player commented on the lack of male force users. Uh, Charles Boyd replied with the following comment. He said, this is been on my mind a lot. It's definitely a huge oversight that I want to fix along with all the characters that are still missing. If folks want to share more of what they'd like to see from a character like this, we're all ears. Of course, players noted that there is Lord Scourge and Archon. They are male force users, uh, to which Charles added, the love for Scourge and Archon is noted and appreciated. In terms of new characters versus returning ones, the team is 100% prioritizing returning characters for the time being but that doesn't mean we could never introduce someone new, especially if it helps to solve a major gap like this. 
And he said, and no, characters who can die depending on decisions aren't out of the running. I guess I take that to mean, you know, yeah, they're not going to be afraid to bring back a, a companion and then kill them off. Thanks. So it's definitely good that returning companions are the priority. I'd much rather get them back than get entirely new companions. In fact, I never understood why they gave us, what is the name, Axel Ghoul, uh, the Deshad, rather than just return Kembel, for instance. That said, we still need new characters. And Theron and Lana were not original companions, and yet they are now permanent fixtures in Old Republic lore. Those two plus ourselves are the big three of the Old Republic. We are the Han, Luke, and Leia of this time period. So it's important to get new characters, and but they don't all have to be potential companions. And believe me, there are plenty of companions who could easily be written into any story they can offer up. If you look at Knights of the Fallen Empire and Eternal Throne, I think you can find plenty of missed opportunities to bring back old companions. Mako, helping slice stuff on the technological world of Iocath. That would have been, uh, you know, an opportunity there. Doc, getting pulled into in a situation where maybe he has to help, or, or he's coerced into helping heal Archon. Arkin. That would have been a, a potential way to bring someone like that back. You could have fit Lord Scourge into practically anywhere in this story, I personally would have liked to have had his support when we went to to Nathema. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on here. And as I, I've said it before, the longer these old companions remain out of our lives, the more it looks like it's a choice on their part. Their part. So we got Quinn and Alara back recently, and I suspect we'll see one or two more before the year is out. So. My final topic for the day is, do the developers play their own game? And this is a question that came up on the forums, and Eric Musco decided to answer. And this 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 is what he did. He said, this is a great question, and a very common one. In short, the team absolutely plays SWOTOR. Let's go into a little more detail, though. Keep in mind, we not only play on the live servers, it is very common that we play internally as well. Coincidentally, we have a studio-wide playtest of the Umbara Flashpoint later today. These playtests serve as early tests of upcoming content so we can give feedback as players and give our perspective from our job roles. Now, playing on live is something different. One thing I think is often forgotten is we are all just regular players. We come from all walks of life and have vastly different play styles. Contrary to popular belief, we are not all progression nightmare operation top 96 PVPers, although a few of us just might be. Here are two examples from players that you know, Keith and I. Keith currently has four characters at command rank 300 and another 12 plus characters at max level or close. He plays almost every type of content in the game and really enjoys running operations and other group content. I, on the other hand, have two characters at max level and none of them at command rank 300. I play quite a bit but spend most of my time just playing the GTN as I am an avid collector of mounts, titles, and rare items. When I am not on the GTN, I'm usually grinding up reps, running heroics, or leveling alts. My days of progression ops are behind me. So as you can see, Keith and I both play Swotor, but play in vastly different ways, just like all of you. I think that raises a great final point. We are building a game for all player types. We not only monitor player feedback, including our own experiences, but we monitor trends and data as well. All of this is combined in... You know, all of this combined is what shapes what we do every day. Our goal has and will always be to make the best Star Wars experience we can all, we can for all of our players, including ourselves. 
So this is sort of an interesting thing. I mean, I've never for once doubted whether or not these guys play the game. I, I, I never knew to, to, to what degree, to what degree. And, and, and I've always wondered, you know, if at times, if there's sort of an unfair advantage, these guys possess an unfair advantage. Not, that's not to say that they're, they're doing things like giving themselves stuff, uh, unfairly. It's just, it's more to do with like, like the knowledge that they have. You know, does the guy who designed the ops bosses inherently know how to beat them? Are they out there leading raids? Do they go on, go in on day one with a preset strategy on how to beat the boss? Same for folks who design classes or war zones. Are, are they out there amongst the masses and wreaking havoc because they know the classes and objectives inside and out? You know, on day one of Iocath, do they have a better experience because they know how all the quests work and where they need to go to complete them? I mean, are they all in some super secret guild together or, or are they in our guilds and on our ops teams and we just don't know it? Because they know how the game is made and the people making it, you know, are they more tolerant of bugs and issues? Do they have a better knowledge of, of workarounds? You know, can they influence the game with requests for changes based on what will help them? I doubt that because I don't, I think it's a collaborative effort and no one person has that kind of influence, but it does make you wonder. I mean, this was an interesting read. Obviously, Keith seems to be enjoying Galactic Command and all the game has to offer. Does that mean he's content with it? Uh, does he not see the same problems that are being raised by other players? I, I don't know. I mean, from the sounds of it, Eric has barely touched Galactic Command. Is that because he doesn't like it? Or because he doesn't participate in those activities that require the gear or, 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 or the need to level up his Galactic Command? I mean, the fact that they have different play styles and experiences is as good, is good because it increases the likelihood that they're bringing these different perspectives and a lot more is covered while they discuss the changes to the game, but I, I, I don't know. It's just, I, like I said, I've never doubted that they've played the game, but it just sort of wonders what that really must be like when, when you, when you are on the inside, you know exactly how it works. You know exactly what's coming down the pike too, right? They, they, they have inside information as to what and when things are, are going to be coming out. And, I, and I'd be curious to know how does that influence how they play the game? Are there things that they, they rush to get done or things they maybe they take their time with or things that we stress over because we don't know when they're coming that they do. And, and I, I know that's maybe I'll go back and, and ask some of these questions on, on that post because I think that would be sort of fascinating to, to kind of get their perspective on how does that influence how they play the game, the, this knowledge of what's coming down the pipe. Well, alrighty then, that is all I have for you this week, so let me cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 41 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is sotorpodcast.com and there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at sotorpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at sotorpodcast or you can send me a direct message and be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 42 on June 20th, 2017 and remember the Sith code cake is a lie.